since 2008, Marvel Studios has brought us over 10 years of cinematic blockbusters, and nothing will ever be the same. Can we, as mere mortals, prevail? Join us to find out. Peter Melnick, graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. True believers, the next chapter begins with another episode of The Marvelists. Welcome everyone to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode, we want to talk to you about how you can get a hold of us on social media. Okay, go ahead. First up, go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like on there. Go on Twitter at The Marvelists. Give us a follow on there collectively. Go on Twitter as well. Also follow myself at Peter Melnick. And Eddie, don't want none of your Twitter nonsense. Jeremy Bagley, you know that. Why are you still bothering him? Why am I using that voice? I don't know. I don't know either. You can find us on Instagram at The Marvelists or at Eddie9193. Exactly, that's you. And you can find myself at Peter Melnick. You can find us on Twitter at The Marvelists. Hey, there we go. boy, Eddie. Also, you can find us on Facebook as well with my personal page now. Facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster. Also, drop us a line in our email bag, themarvelists at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, poems, haikus, Ooh. fan art, fan fiction, fan scriptures. Just from the mountaintop, they gave it to us, and it's good. good. You can also rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Five star if you're ever so inclined. Let people know you're liking this show. Let people know you're enjoying this thing. Program. Program. I've heard that. Oh, that's good. Program. I like that. We're heading to a grim, as it were. We are. But you can also listen to this show on a wide variety of streaming platforms, people. You can find us on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Podbean, and the Bergen. Biggin. Spotify. Biggin Toasty. Available for all iOS and Android devices. So before we get into the other stuff, let's introduce ourselves. Eddie. Hi. Hi, Eddie. How, How are you, you doing? I'm Peter. Uh, yes, you are. You're fantastic, Eddie. Thank you so much. You can call me Reed. And my eyes are crossed, and if I had, you know, like you had a twin brother right now, there'd be four of you, because you'd be fantastic four. And I'm crossing my eyes for the podcast, even though that's pointless. Why am I still doing this stuff? I don't know. But... Yeah, we are continuing our Fantastic Four month with Fantastic Four from 2005, the first official one. This is actually one that was released. Not like last yes. week's, but this actually got released. Official, yes. Official. Why did it take this long? I don't know. 2005, wow. And this was a movie that, not going to lie, I kind of liked and I also kind of hated at the same time. We'll get into that. Yes, we will. But in the meantime... Times four. This is a movie that has a lot of potential. Like, a lot, a lot of potential. And as I'm looking up some of the casting information, we have a movie that on IMDb is currently rated 5.7 out of 10, and it's a little unfair. It was a f- I'm actually looking at the Rotten Tomatoes score. Rotten Tomatoes has a 27% rotten. Whoa. So somehow, 
this movie, if I'm correct, oh, please, oh, please, it's going to be a spoiler for next week's episode, but Rise of the Silver Surfer is, is a better movie critically than this was. Wow, I, I'm thinking about that statement. Jeez. I can kind of see that, but... Kind of, but... I don't know. And it's going to be a big difference, I guess, in terms of percentage or likability or whatever the criteria is. Well, originally the director for this movie was supposed to be Christopher Columbus, and we're not talking about the explorer. No, he'd be very old and dead. But he was originally supposed to be the one that did this, and if you remember from last week's episode... He went out sailing. Well, not Stop it. Christopher Cross. Sorry. I'll ride like the wind, Daddy. Music thi- <laughs> All right, there's another one. Okay, Arthur. Oh, uh, fine, fine. We're about out Good of Christopher Cross too. now. Yes, yes, Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> that was my Dudley Moore laugh, and it kind of sounded like it, but not really. Only because you put it in perspective. Otherwise, I'd be like, what is he doing? He, he's, have, he's having a fit. But yeah, Chris Columbus was supposed to originally direct this movie, and... The whole issue with Fantastic Four ninety four, Bur uh, Burton Eckinger, I'll pronounce that probably wrong all the time, but he took the movie off. They ended up like moving it away, so Chris Columbus could essentially do the movie, and his version didn't happen. And he just you know he stepped down and he, he wanted to you know produce it instead under his fourteen ninety two banner, which he ultimately got to do he you know was involved with the production of the movie but not on you know a big scale like he he had his production company involved that's really it and i'm just repeating myself over and over and over well it is part of your name repeat pete peter pete yeah okay you digest i I digest (laughs) but yeah they they had a lot of people that were involved with this movie and a lot of rewrites and one of the people involved was going to work on the movie and left the movie to work on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so you could tell the, how much this movie meant to a lot of people. And by a lot, I mean, no. Soinks. And even at the point where a movie that came out, I believe, a year before this or a year or two before this, The Incredibles. The Incredibles is a movie by Pixar that many people have gone on record as saying, that's how you do a Fantastic Four movie. Oh. And in the production notes on Wikipedia, I'll read this. After seeing The Incredibles, the producers of the film were forced to make significant script changes and add more special effects because of the similarities. Or you could make them like a family, like they're supposed to be in the comic books, like, you know, the source material. But this is a movie that source material... We're just going to throw it out the door. We're going to throw out the door and the window and the garage door, the garage door, if you will. But, again, it's funny. I'm whining, bitching, and kvetching about this, and yet there is a part of me. I like this movie. It's a good thing. So it's a little confusing with me. I'm I'm an enigma with this. I'm a... uh, Edward? Different universe. We're not the oh. DCist. We're not Patricio and Joe. It'll be this. Okay. But we, I, I would say it's, uh, yeah. Eddie? You know, 
I didn't actually make the comparison to The Incredibles. And the big difference for me is... Well, you've never seen The Incredibles. I haven't seen. I've seen you should I've seen see pieces it. I really need to. But what I have seen, though, look really good. But it's it's a different venue, arena, possibly, because it's animated. So I, I automatically put that on a different level or shelf or whatever the right word is, um, as opposed to a live-action movie. I mean, animated is still animated. Heavy Metal had boobies, Eddie. Uh, yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Which is great for, you know, uh, coming-of-age uh, male especially. A young boy. <laughs> oh, Peter, you've held on to your puberty. Very Stop nicely. it! It sure sounds that way. <laughs> so, yeah, this this was a movie that has a lot of problems and just a lot of stuff. It was pre-MCU by three years. So, by virtue of that... I'm going to say no post credits scene right there. Let's go straight to the end if that makes any sense. I will admit that was the first thing I did when I finished the movie. I fast-forwarded the credits. I'm like, is is there something? There's got to be something. Just at the very end where it says the end, is there a, a scene? And we'll get to that, of course, at the end. But you have these main characters who are and or were in other works. So they weren't pulling unknowns out of here, like I believe the 94 movie. Well, the only one that actually was really something prior to Fantastic Four 94 was the actor who played Johnny Storm because he was in Uncle Buck, he was in this, he was in that. Okay. He had yeah. a bit of, you know, a resume. And But here you've got credits, I think, on all the characters, starting with the Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic can you, character. Can you pronounce his name, Eddie? I believe it's Yon, first name. Okay. And last name, Grufford, or Grufford, and just so amazing to me. It still, it still um, makes me wonder how you hear how he speaks as his character role versus his actual English from Great Britain English speaking voice. So vastly different. It's like you the sound first time like I heard from London, Liverpool. First time I ever heard the Beatles, and how clear. And you could understand every word they say. And then when you heard them speak, whoa! How did, that was my very first impression of of English speaking people versus singing. You Same sound like you're here. in cursive. <laughs> Same thing here. So Yon, who I didn't realize until after the fact, was at the end of, or almost at the end of Titanic. Funniest thing is, I'm 30 years old and I've never seen Titanic. Well, he was in one of the rescue boats that came back after it went down. And found, or with his boat, found uh, Kate Winslet blowing the whistle. And was she okay? Well, she was kind of chilly, but uh, she. How was okay. the boat? Uh, was the boat unscratched? Which, which the the, the rescue boat was. No, was okay. no, I'm talking about the Titanic. The big one went down. It's went okay. Down with the big, please. But he was there. I think he was in other a couple of other, you know, smaller character actor things. This one, Fantastic Four, 2005, top billing, first name out of the shoot, right, and then. Jessica Alba well, follows. Wait, 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 let's go. Let's a little bit more about Yon Grudoff. But <laughs> that's Grudof. gonna be a fun name. Grudoff Grufford. Oh. Potato tomato. Yes. Okay. Oh. But he is. He is the personification of what Reed Richards should look like. I thought. I think so. Yes. I thought last week's was a pretty damn good Reed Richards, but this guy, he 
kind of looks like a little bit of like if you're a fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he looks like a less sleazy Dennis Reynolds, and that makes me happy. He's got okay. like le- he's he's hey, a uh, second time if it makes you happy. This time I'm telling you, Cheryl Crow, good song. I've heard that recently on a classic rock station. That made Ooh. me feel old. Okay. But 1997, I believe. But anyway, he looks like a less date rapey Dennis Reynolds. And the thing about that that I love is the fact that I don't have to worry about Dennis Reynolds, potential rapist. It just makes me excited, you know? <laughs> yes, your everything is intact. Okay. <laughs> oh. Or protected or safe or all the above. And Ugh. the idea of this guy, you know, portraying the role of Reed Richards, he's got the... He's got the stoicness that Reed has. He's got the intelligence that Reed has. And he also has the whole humanity to him in that he's not perfect. Yeah, he's a genius, but he's also... The the, the line said of him is, the dumbest smart man I know. Oh, yes. Great line. And that's the thing about characters like a Reed Richards, a Tony Stark, a Peter Parker they're still human. Yeah, they have the smarts, but they're not perfect. And I like that about them. I think for picking somebody who was mostly, I think, an unknown in this case, not well-known name or visually, oh, yeah, I've seen him in whatever, but I can't for the life of me pronounce his name. He was great for this this role. Good Lord, yes. For folks who, like myself, grew up reading Fantastic Four, and others, and to see this hit the screen, yeah. And not knowing what was to come beyond that, what was going to be done cinematically, all the effects, all the different characters that were to come, this is a great start in the 2000 decade. And right before I cut you off, but you were talking also about Jessica Alba as the role of? Susan Storm, the Invisible Girl. And again, good casting choice. I liked her in the role. She had the innocence that a Sue Storm has. She has the friendliness. She's got smarts. Yeah, and just a fun character. And she's Easy also, on the eye. She also has like a bit of a firecrackerness to her. You know, you the annoyance of like, what's something that annoys you? And she just looks at Reed, just like really pissed off. What you know, they wove the story, the romance story there. You come into it, even if you hadn't necessarily known much about it, but you sense that yes, they did have some history, Reed and Sue. Apparently it was two years prior, and that was how long she had now been with Victor. And Who we will get to in a moment. Yes. And, and I have my complaints and grievances. Feelings were not let go, apparently, altogether, or they were just quenched quenched. No, not not that. They were quashed perhaps and unresolved and mostly on sue's part as we find out uh reed was i think um sort of unaware or too caught up in his scientificness to to fully understand and realize who did what or should have done and to maintain the relationship but we get to the 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 happy part later and with the casting of jessica alba she was actually a casting choice that got a lot of ire in different communities, in the geek, like some parts of the geek community, because she is a person of color. She's Hispanic. And people were not a fan of that, which is really funny because look how many different roles other people play with other characters. They can reinvent a character, make something different. Well, they didn't do that yet. 
legendary Marvel comic book artist and writer John Byrne had some thoughts on this. And I remember when we first started the show, you and I were talking about John Byrne. And I told you one thing, and the look on your face was like such a look of disappointment. I was like, I know, I know. (laughs) I'm going to read the quote John Byrne said about Jessica Alba that he wrote on his fan forum back in the day. And this is in quotes, and I'm pulling this off, off of WilliamBruceWest.com slash 2004 slash 10 slash 10 slash 273. So that way all of you have the MLA citation for this. You can look it up in a library, an ISDN number, and all that kind of hubbub. Exactly. I mean, oh, my goodness. Hey, Dewey Decimal System. Dewey, baby! <laughs> See, all I'm thinking of is UHF. Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? Conan the Librarian. Anyway. Here's John Byrne. Personal prejudice. Hispanic and Latino women with blonde hair look like hookers to me, no matter how clean or cute they are. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a comment made in 2004. If you thought the world today was bad, boy, oh boy, you should have heard about that many years ago. So, yeah, this was a role where people were complaining about a woman in a wig. And let's be real, it didn't matter the wig. She looked fine. She looked like Sue Storm. Maybe if she had a little bit shorter hair, that's you know I'm I like the I like the yeah. Kirby era, but well Kirby era yes short hair but also limited intelligence I think taking a uh, or at least not yeah. as limited in terms of you did not hear she didn't express thoughts feelings as much I mean maybe internally the thought bubbles were I wish Reed would pay more attention to me those comics you are know. like when you look at them in 2018 or when you look at those comics in 2019 they do not age well very much like no writing for the times it was the 60s it was the first big Je- Marvel comic Jean Grey doing something and her getting called you're a credit for your gender Jean wow <laughs> Yeah. You would not see that in a Marvel yeah, comic yeah. in mm-hmm. 2019. Well, that came around full circle when in uh, the, the whatever issue it was of of the FF that the character of Malice came out. A total 180 degrees of, of Sue Storm. So now also we go on to a character in the form of The Thing, played by Michael Checklist. And if there was ever an actor born to play that role, it was Checklist. Who came off of the TV show The Shield. Correct. So he's got a past coming into this. And, yeah, I would say this is the one time the thing on screen actually looks like the thing. The closest Um, to it. Yes, I agree. Last week's, it kind of reminded me of the animatronic Ninja Turtles with, you know, the weird lips. Obviously, again, it's a podcast. You can't see this. But I just made the face for Eddie where I'm going. like It's like a a semi-snarl kind of curly lip up it's thing like a horse and... eating peanut butter oh yeah i guess so <laughs> like watch that movie again and you'll see you've seen you've done that i suppose then you know from experience i don't know i'm a horse and i eat peanut butter oh. i love pe- i love peanut butter eddie peter the horse okay anyway so yeah michael Checklis and he <laughs> he's not a horse no i thought oh. you were talking about you oh oh but <laughs> ben okay Again, got the voice down perfectly. Yes, carried the voice throughout, not only in his Ben Grimm character, but as the thing also. Deeper, louder, but yeah, it was definitely well carried. I will say, though, when I because like, we have the movie playing in the background and Ben is on screen right now, every time I see the rocky texture of the thing, I just think he's a Butterfinger bar without the chocolate on it. 
and it makes me hungry every time. Oh, boy. Hey, crispity, crunchity, peanut buttery, Eddie. They're the best candy bars. And, yes, I would love a sponsorship from Butterfinger for the Marvelous. Holla at us. Marvelous.gmail.com. No, I think the Simpsons got that well, one. We can share. We can have custody. We can have on Sundays. Every other weekend, we're alternating. Well, maybe if the uh, the contract ran out, because it was years ago we'll, that they did that. We'll be the cool sponsorship uh, partner every weekend. <laughs> anyway. Mmm, Butterfinger. Crispity, crunchity, peanut buttery. Again, Butterfinger, holla at us. We'd like money. It's the other <laughs> version of the Clark Bar. I've never had a Clark Bar. Well, it's very similar. Are they? A little bit lighter in, in coloring on the inside, but I think the texture... Is pretty peanut, much the same. Peanut buttery taste to it. Yes. God, I want a Butterfinger bar now. A little bit lighter, very light yellowish inside, as opposed to the deep, bordering on orangey Butterfinger insides. Eddie, this conversation is making me hungry. Let's just talk about Johnny Storm. <laughs> Let's go, Candyman. Which Sammy ironically, Davis Jr. if it, if I was uh, into Chris Evans like that, I would also be going, man. This is a terrible thing because now I want to eat Chris Evans. But ha ha ha, people. Wow. Uh-huh. What a day for Peter the Horse Melnick. Okay. <laughs> and that peanut butter. Can't do a podcast with peanut butter, I think. That's it. Look, you you did this. Hey, crispity crunchity, like I said. You made the equine uh, equation. Correlation. Equation. Chris Evans, who, if you only saw him as Captain America, may have a problem identifying him as a, in this prior role of Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. But... He had other roles in other like rom coms, romantic comedy movies. He was in not another teen movie, a movie I saw like nine thousand times the summer of uh, two thousand two. And I didn't know him until actually till the Fantastic Four of two thousand five. He fit this role, I think, pretty much to a T, or an F in this case, or, a J. or, or two Fs, or a JS. Yes, exactly. Flame on. I think he definitely suited this character well. He had the the whole. Attitude, the could care less demeanor about Devil himself. Devil may care. Exactly. And, uh, you know, a juvenile at that, not as responsible. Yeah, I think he had all those characteristics down that we knew from reading the comic books. Very, very well done. Not medium rare? Correct. Because that, well, I mean, with his flame, it You're can... Hungry? Another, no, okay. There we go. Now, I would say with his portrayal, it is really hard to see him now play this role after being so used to Captain America for the past I think it's eight years now? Well, I put that on hold and when I rewatched rewatched FF I said, okay, here he is this is Johnny, I'm not thinking but he's also, and you can see, he's you also can't help younger it though. No, no but this time I somehow successfully blocked out the Cap portion of who he is and got to the Johnny Storm and Although, I found him it's funny. <laughs> Not that funny. Okay. He uh he actually has gone on saying when the whole Fox deal was being announced, "Hey, maybe we could see them cro- maybe I could play Johnny Storm again." Like something to that effect. Well, now I, that would be it. I think he liked the role of Johnny Storm a lot. That would be let's do the time warp again. Mm-hmm. Cuz Johnny Storm was just basically a man child. Like he got to have fun going around, you know, yes. hanging with models, driving in sports cars, BMXing. All that stuff. Yes, all those things. And just having fun. And with Captain America, you have to be a lot more stoic. You have to be serious. You have to be... Responsible. Yeah. And if we could, I would love to see 
how they could do like secret wars and use all the quote unquote battle worlds from that run. Oof. Maybe we could see one day this universe brought back again and that version of Johnny Storm. I think it would be cool. Wow. Yeah, well, because some big big shoes and plans to fill. I'd love to see Chris Evans back as Johnny Storm. I'm not going to lie. Why not? I think it'd be funny to see it. And then, you know, there would be people going out saying, oh, well, he's more Captain America. Yeah, obviously. But this is more in line with his personality. The Chris Evans Captain America looking at the Chris Evans Johnny Storm and saying, do I know you? Yeah. Do you need a comb? Oh, wait, you go through those really, really fast because your head is on fire. (laughs) And Julian McMahon. Oh boy. Charmed, I realized. Nice to meet you too, Eddie. But <laughs> from the TV show of the <laughs> the Sisters 3 in the well, the source, I guess he became at some point. This is my wife's show, Charmed. Once again, oh boy. A casting choice that oh, he's a great villain. If you're not Doctor Doom, <laughs> and this is where he is my biggest complaint and grievance of this film. For a movie that otherwise has nice action, has a decent plot, we have a guy who they looked at his character, the character sheets, and they're like, oh, his his hands are silver too, and so is his face. He must be a robot. Oh, look, he's a robot. He goes, R-r-r-r-r. no. and uh, No, that's... Not what Dr. Doom is. He's a guy who's disfigured, depending on the variation of the story, wearing a mask, wearing armor. He doesn't have silver hands. He's not a metal man. He's not the friggin' tin man. Or or bordering on external adamantium, even. Yeah. When I saw the scene where he just punches the wall, I forgot about that. And I'm like, oh. Oh, no. He shouldn't oh. be able to punch the wall without the armor. Why yeah. is he turning silver? No, we already have one silver guy in this universe, and he has a board. <laughs> and we're not going to see him until next movie. And that board should be spelled B-O-R-E-D. <laughs> yes, I stole that from Norm MacDonald. I'm really proud of that. That's fine. That's fine. But, no, why Why are you doing this? And that accent, man. You're, you're Dr. Doom. You're supposed You're supposed to be... I am from another country. I'm turning him Russian for some reason, but you pretend it's Eastern European. You know, I don't even remember even going back to animated, cartoony type stuff. But they what did. Doctor Doom sounds like. I, I should Doom go back. Last week, he was close. He wasn't European. But he he was, like, was tough to understand because he had a lot of echo going on with that. And like we said, mis-produ- though, you know, not as well produced, not as cleanly produced. Like uh, we stuff. said on last week's episode, though. That was because the movie wasn't even finished. They, the guy who played Doctor Doom in that film wanted to keep going back and editing that audio. I'm like, hey, want to do a better take on that? Because kind of sounds like crap. <laughs> yeah. So, Wish denied. Yeah, oh, yeah, and release denied too. But uh-huh. this, you have a guy who, when you look at Doctor Doom, Doctor Doom is the prototype for who another villain who's masked and disfigured would come to be a major force in pop culture. And I'm talking about the guy with the asthma problem, Darth Vader. Okay. He is Doctor Doom successful on the big screen. If you want to do Doctor Doom, 
ape Darth Vader, who ironically aped Doctor Doom from the comics. Wait a minute, which came first, Doctor Doom? But Doctor Doom was right, but not to the screen. Yeah, he was the inspiration for Darth Vader. Because Lucas is a big comic head. He actually the funniest thing is, this is a little aside. He actually has pages from the Han Solo comic that Marvel put out a couple of years ago. He bought every single page. <laughs> so if you want to go on the con circuit or talk to the, the artists, hey, I want to buy your pages. No. Guess who has them? That guy with the, the love of flannel and Georgie. a beard. Hey. So he he has that, and he's a comic head, just like you and I. He Yeah, well, not to that extent, but... Uh, hey, yeah. Eh, eh. It's all about the money. Well, it's funny with Doom. That's where we start. This essentially with the the close up of I think some soldering is going on of this thirty foot Victor statue in front of the Von Doom building, and you have Reed and Ben conversing. Um, but you find out immediately that uh, almost immediately that Reed Richards is bankrupt, as the newspaper headline has shown you. Yeah, he's not a rich man. No, no, not at all. And you know, talking about this cosmic radiation storm and how it's going to help mankind. In, in curing diseases and, and whatnot. And uh, you see Susan is with Doom because things have changed unbeknownst to what, what's going on because it's kind of dropping you into what's happening in this story. I'm surprised she's in love with uh, Victor Von Doom in this because his well, ears aren't pointy and he doesn't have those drag queen eyebrows. So, <laughs> hi, Namor the Submariner. How you doing? You know, no, that's another, wow. That's, that's who I'm referencing. Thing. Yes, I'm sorry. I wasn't quite up to speed with that. Okay. Well, I'm guessing what's attracted uh, Sue to to Victor is he's paying attention to her. And he can give her anything she need, she wants, needs. Although I don't think I see her as a demanding, you know, I want this if you want me to love you or care about you. I don't think she's that way at all. But he's got stability for her, uh, security for sure. So what you're get, what we're getting at is you don't have to be rich to be her guy. You don't have to be cool to rule her world. Something, something, kiss, Prince, 1980s. Oh, you don't have to be a star to be in my show. Thank you, Eddie. Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. That didn't even rhyme. I didn't continue, did I? Oh. I, refu- I will not. So. Buttons. Yeah, okay. And you grouse, you're gradually introduced to the, the different characters that are going to make up the team. Chris Evans in the unlikely stunt of riding a motorcycle uh, side by side, a girl in a convertible, and they're kissing as they're speeding down the highway. For every part they get right of the characters, I feel they also do 12 different things that are wrong. Well, let's make it one-to-one if you're going to be that critical. I disagree because there's just certain elements where it's more of the negative and less of the positive. Because they did get Johnny's personality down. They got the teasing, you know, with him and Oh, no question, yes. But I think one thing I just realized from this part of the notations is that they characterized Johnny as being a pilot of a spacecraft. And that's Ben Grimm all the way. Yeah. So you have a little... should have taken. Maybe that's where they needed to start establishing a conflict between... And sometimes it's it's tongue-in-cheek, funny... But other times it's it's serious. It underlies something serious between the two characters. But the perfect way they could have personified that, you know, that testy rivalry between the two of them was when Ben is laying on the couch and Johnny puts shaving cream in Ben's one hand, tickles him and goes, Fufo, I got it in my face. Johnny! <laughs> so they, they have that. I like that. 
that was classic, and that was comic book stuff. Yeah, it's I could read that in the pages of like maybe the Mark Wade run or the Jack Kirby. Stan Whoever Lee wrote it, run. it's yeah. earlier than that for sure. But just that level it's of seventies stuff, seventies eighties stuff. In the Mark Wade run, they literally do a story where all of a sudden. Ben gets a package from the Yancey Street gang. They mess with him. There you go. And then he goes, you know what? Oh, they left their receipt. I'm going to go to the store where they bought this and beat the crap out of them, find out who it was. Guess who it was that whole time? Johnny Storm. Johnny Storm was forging little signatures and saying, oh, this is from the Yancey Street gang. Oh, no, he's going to find out it's me. So it's good stuff. It's, it's the level of the playfulness of the humor between the two of them. And I'm actually reading right now the Dan Slot run, and the you know he's like showing the relationship of they st- like regardless of anything they still love each other they're still family and in these they miss uh, Sue and Reed. So they, you know, you know. Which, by the way, people, I highly recommend that run of the Fantastic Four by Dan Slot. They just started as of this recording on. January 22nd, they just released a new, started a new run last week with Aaron Cooter, friend of the show, as the artist behind the series. Uh-huh. And okay. Aaron's a solid artist. Highly recommend checking his stuff out, especially his Guardians of the Galaxy run with uh, Jerry Dugan. Anyway, proceed. We get to uh, the flight suit. There was something that you said before, but I'll have to come back to it once I remember. But the flight suit's because they're going to go into space. Victor is going to fund this uh, trip expedition. Uh, Victor actually designs the flight suits, and uh, it's called Fantastic. I think Reed had said that, actually. Um, That's the word of the whole movie, Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Which, it's understandable. You're not going to say Marvel 2 and 1 in the middle of the film. Yeah. (laughs) You truly are a Marvel 2 and 1. Thank you, Sue. You're fantastic yourself. Well, something goes wrong not too far along into this, and I mean in the plot in the course of the movie, because it's it's said that it's going to be a nine-hour time period before the cosmic event happens. A nine-hour tour. But, as it turns out, Reed looks at a meter of some sort, and it's, no, nine minutes to happen. Ben has gone outside the ship. A nine-minute tour. And now it's... The cloud accelerating, telling Victor we've got to abort this, continue. He will not do this. Um, And, of course, you see them get hit by the rays, the cosmic rays. I think that was well done, very dramatic. They get bathed and and sort of smacked around with with these uh, waves of of rays. Uh, And I do recall from the original comic book seeing how these um, tubular, test tube-looking rays penetrated the ship they were in. And they came, you know, they came in and did what they did to the s- them. The scene with everyone getting the cosmic rays affecting them is such a strange scene of how it's shot, how it's positioned. I like it, and because it's the most out there, but I do feel it's it's I don't know. I I like it, but yet at the same time, there is a part of me where I'm like, this seems it seems the way it's shot is so specific to its time. Like you, you look okay. at that. And you're like, yeah, mid two thousands. I can see it. Maybe if you are keen and sensitive, I'm so on sensitive, not noticing Eddie. that you're you're sensitive. I'm such a sensitive boy. But 
We actually have we skipped over something completely. That take a look behind you, Eddie, on the screen because we're replaying the movie in the background. Blue background for the Marvel logo, and that was one of my favorite touches of this whole movie because we were seeing something different, and that was a nice little touch that Fox did for this movie, having the you know flipping comic book go into a blue background because what is the one color synonymous with the Fantastic Four? Translucent. Yes. Of Sue Storm. Translucent. No. Yeah. No, it's blue. Blue. Blue it and is. white. And they did blue text on a white. Or Good call. Bl- white text or on a catch blue background. Or catch or something. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was a very cool look to it. Yeah. No, it was. Um, and the next thing I'm seeing here, though, uh, you know, continuing along the story is um, not knowing how Ben fared with getting hit by rays and so on. It looked like they were able to get him in back into the ship, close the door, but the cosmic rays the whole cloud comes bursting through and so they all get hit ben is um looking as if you are ben looking up at johnny what happened what happened to me johnny says oh you know whatever oh give me that mirror let me look what he looks fine it was just a tease all along we knew what we were hope guessing we would see but no it didn't happen oh poor ben ben don't know what's coming next. not exactly right i mean he thinks it's indigestion um and then it turns out when he's laying in his bed, in his isolation room, his body mass index shoots up to about 700, which I thought was kind of odd. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead, but I thought you had to be attached to some kind of monitors for these things to uh, you know, register readings and so on. So a little technical discrepancy on what I noticed there, because he was just laying in bed, cover over his head, nothing attached to him by way of IV or just you know to monitor your vitals, and we've got this... BMI, this body mass index, going through the roof. And then he goes through the wall. Literally. Runs out. Escapes. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, and and as a result of his cosmic radiation exposure, and Johnny notices Reed having the grandpa look about him with the little whitish around his ears in that area where his hair has come down. To and now him. he looks like a dignified, less creepy Dennis Reynolds. Yeah, and it makes right, me happy. Okay, yeah. And of course, this is all at Victor's medical facility because he's, you know, in charge. Von Doom is is everything. You know, you don't re- you don't know, or for sure that at some point later, one of his employees or workers says uh, maybe you should go back to Latveria. And which establishes finally where, you know, he's from. He's got that such such a strong Latvian accent too, <laughs> which we don't know that. Uh, we, don't, we don't hear it. Why should we know it? Right? Game show host. What's a Latvian supposed to sound like? Let very ease. Like I keep saying, people. But apparently, yeah. since this happened, this whole mishap with this, this the ship and the cosmic storm, it is now spiraling, free falling. Victor and his company, the worst free fall since the depression, and he is actually worst going free to free falling be, since the heartbreakers. Oh, Tom Petty solo, 1990, full moon fever. Need I say more? No. You can. Would you like to? I just said plenty. Far long enough. This has been disastrous for the company. And Victor has a week to turn things around or he's going to be out on his ear no matter how much he put into the company. Um, which actually reminds me of the Osborne situation with the first Spider-Man movie and the glider and the failure of that project. Back to formula. Okay. And uh, just coming into again, 
with Johnny Storm being in isolation, of course, he's getting stir-crazy being in there. Uh, the nurse, who I realized um, actually from seeing a trailer, not a trailer, a video diary that they did on the DVD for this movie, which is yeah, about 20 minutes long, you know, showing where they went to Australia to film in Mexico, uh, Liberty Island in New York, and among the characters there was this nurse character, and her name may be somewhat familiar, Maria Menounos. Um, of what, like Entertainment Weekly or, or one of the she's e the show person channels. before the movies, the movie trailers. That's it. Now she's doing that right. So Maria I'll, lands a sweet deal. I also know her as I also know her as the woman who inducted Bob Backlund into the WWE Hall of Fame. Oh, look at that. Okay, and she was on stage for like forty-five minutes, and she's making her mark and you know a significant, decent enough role in in this movie. By becoming a love interest of of Johnny, and just the whole, just the funny lines she takes his temperature and says, "Ooh, you're hot," and he says, "Well, thank you. So are you." It's just the it's the little things of the Johnny Storm character that this film gets so damn right, and he's not afraid to cry. Uh, thermometer reading a temperature of two o nine. Not to be confused with a local Sullivan County route. It's true that all that. Can I sing the Quick Way Diner jingle, Eddie? Yeah, but I don't think we want to hear it. <laughs> oh. What about the First National Bank? Of Jeffersonville? Of Jeffersonville! Uh, my coworker has that and will supply you with that, by the way. I would have that as a ringtone. <sighs> if they'll let you. I know I would. I, yeah, weird, strange taste. So, proceed. Ben and Reed converse. Reed says, how are you feeling, Ben? He says, solid. Indicative of what is to come. Ben is trying to put Sue and Reed back together, relationship-wise, which will take a turn when it looks like Reed is not paying enough attention to Ben, now the thing, and get him back to his normal human state. And there will be an irony later when Victor actually does that for him. And in the course of Reed recreating the cosmic storm and going into a chamber, uh, not really working on, on Reed, but I guess it was really a matter of not enough power, which Victor also willingly supplies to reverse Ben and his condition. But again, back to Johnny with, with nurse Maria Menounos. I don't think she's given a character name. And just him catching on fire as they're skiing down. It, it was a little ironic possibly or just again a tongue-in-cheek thing I'm reading too far into it when they're being they were lifted by helicopter to do their snowboarding actually in Johnny's case it was a snowboard the nurse's case Maria it was on skis she jumps out of the copter first and then Johnny in turn says to the helicopter pilot that's my future wife and goes down on the snowboard when we get to Silver Surfer and the girlfriend or he that he gets to attend to with Reed and Sue getting married overseas and the bridal bouquet is tossed uh, Johnny sends it up in flames because he doesn't want to commit and so the future wife and the other to me it's just like oh there's a total opposite but again just a, a minor point but Johnny finds his power creates sort of sort of some kind of a uh, sauna type atmosphere in the snow and you know it, you can't see he's probably you know shed all of his clothing 
but you only see him from the waist up, bare, and says, would you like to join me? Would you care to join me? So they make a funny thing out of uh, what was what was happening there. You're on fire. Yeah, thanks. No, you're on fire. Funny stuff. I like things like that in the humor because otherwise, if you miss stuff like that, you don't really get the humor of a Johnny Storm. You don't get the humor of a Ben Grimm. You have to have those little elements of that. Otherwise, you just crash and burn. Crash and burn. Ha ha, very funny. Yeah. Except he burned and then crashed kind of thing. And Yeah. But you know, but then later, the next couple of scenes, you're seeing the other powers manifesting themselves. Reed and Sue at dinner. Sue it turns invisible, not realizing it. And a bottle of champagne knocked over. Reed stretches out to grab it, and his arm, of course, stretches a couple extra feet long to grab this. And so they're finding out what's happening to them. And Johnny coming back to join them wearing just the nurse Maria's parka down jacket and, and flicks his finger like snap on, snap off with lighting a flame and says, now imagine this, but everywhere. He's just so the character. The cloud has fundamentally altered our DNA. To which Johnny says, cool. And then, of course, we, we talked about Ben and how they get in because the door's locked. And Reed gets his hand underneath the, the door slot on the bottom of the door, brings his arm up, opens it up. And, and Johnny says, that's just gross, which is kind of funny that he says says that kind of thing. Um, like we said, Ben gets out, breaks into a, uh, you hear uh, the noise of, of, I guess, breaking into a men's big and tall store and goes to a phone booth to call his fiance, we presume, Debbie, who comes out to meet him and is appalled and disgusted with what he's become, cannot accept this, this change, and a little bit later will leave the ring that she had on the ground right, for him to take back because she does not want him like this. And who says it, you can't go home? It's such a cold thing of a character to do. And yeah. it's unfortunately indicative of what real life is like. There are people like, let's say they lose an appendage. They will run away from the person screaming, no, I can't marry this person. Because yeah. the one thing, regardless of anything, the one physical abnormally, you know, it it is a deal breaker. And it sucks like to see that. And... Oh, you don't love me, even though you know I look like a crispity, crunchy, peanut buttery Butterfinger. Butterfinger, we're still waiting. But oh. you have that, and come on, come on, Daddy wants to get his rocks off. Literally, he wants to get that those rocks off of his body. Yes, boy, you saved yourself. Hey, he's an orange rock monster. Y- yes. Okay. Fine. Still, old blue uh, Benjamin. That ever-loving thing. Ever-loving, yeah. Which does <laughs> do well to stop a tractor trailer, albeit without the trailer part attached to it on the Brooklyn Bridge after we see him sulking and the pigeon visits him and leaves a present behind. Uh, but then the, the, the would-be jumper, third eye blind. I wish you would see, step I, back from that ledge, my friend. I would you understand. Can, you can see it in my eyes. Sometimes I'm getting ready to tackle you to make the joke. Uh-huh. We were both in that... That zone. I had that Auto right here when I said jumper. I'm like, boom, there we go. That's where it's going to go. Stopping the the uh, the would be suicide jumper, and 
but he, but of course he falls onto the roadway of the Brooklyn Bridge, stops the tractor trailer, and then of course in in the ensuing melee, a fire truck comes onto the scene to try and rescue, and that becomes in peril. Um, and in the course of this all, I don't know how far away, you know, this fiance of of Ben Grimm's Debbie was, but she appears among the crowd to come through and put her ring on the ground because she's done with him. After all, has been said and done with with Ben rescuing people and with help from his teammates who are just coming together in their first public appearance, essentially, and exhibiting their powers. And we see that Ben has four fingers. And Johnny, of course, asking the melodious question, where are your ears? What do you think happened to the other finger, though? It got absorbed into into the four that we see. You four so? fingers, four I uh, you know it's the same thing Baxter building you see the number on the build four 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 you see that they just yeah. really love that number on the in front of the in the front doorway glass doors four fours up there uh, when they take off from the top of the building there are fours that are kind of right jammed next to each other three four fours in a row it's reinforcing the number it is rather fantastic Ugh. four redundant redundant yeah but you know what happens is the media the TV news dubs them. The Fantastic Four. That's the first we see and hear that name. Different than the 1994 that we talked about and how Fantastic Four came about from Mama Storm. Man, that was a great episode to record, wasn't it, Eddie? (laughs) It's not like we're recording this episode first and going in a completely different order that the audience is completely unaware of. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) And now we come up to the Fantastic Four arriving at the Baxter Building, and who's making his appearance? Who, who? Stan the Man, as Mailman Willie Lumpkin. I love his cameos in the Fantastic Four movies. Obviously, we're going to talk about that on the next episode, but that has not been recorded yet, actually, this time, for real. But I love his cameos in these because... Two quick lines. They're just fun. That's it. Welcome back to the Baxter Building, Dr. Richards. I've got the usual here for you. And I, I love the fact that Stan got to play Willie Lumpkin, the father of Deadpool Lumpkin. And hey, <laughs> okay. hey he's helping his dad out. That's all Oh, yeah, that's do. it. Right, right. He had to get all that uh, adamantium. Shout Either out. Either snow, sleet, rain, or, yeah. Shout out to friend of the show, Daniel Kibblesmith. Daniel for his killer run so far on Black Panther versus Deadpool, which, oh, by the way, oh, killer! Pick Dead. it up if you have the chance. A, a beloved, minor, but there in the comics character Willie Lumpkin, yes, father of Deadpool. Lumpkin. Well done, yes, exactly. But then uh, Victor comes to the Baxter, Baxter Building with his game show voice, and that's where he punches the elevator. And then we see he's apparently metal inside. He's a metal man. Oh, no, that's another comic book on the other universe. Yes, okay. The distinguished competition. Uh, he's he's truly a metal man and not a robot in the very least. But they want to, you know, be in the Baxter Building where Reed's setup is, so they can monitor what's going on. And you know, we see the the tension increasing between Reed and Victor, and we also see the temperature increasing of Johnny Storm in his uh, test chamber. But he gets to four thousand degrees Kelvin, and which Hobbs. is which is a pro- oh, there's a cartoon for you, or a comic strip, and being told that's approaching, if not the temperature of the sun, 
and a little more could go supernova, to which he thinks is sweet. But that's bad. No, but that. that's ba- but supernova means wiping out life. You know. Oh, okay. Supernova, bad. Yeah, so let's not do that. Now, Victor apparently is being told by a doctor he's got some kind of organic metal alloy stronger than titanium, harder than diamonds. He's becoming something that we don't know, and it's uncharted, undocumented before. He's coming down with bonitis. <laughs> Meanwhile, Reed is examining, analyzing the, the costumes that they, they'd gotten, the, the suits. Molecules are unstable, and, and I think it was uh, Ben who said, you guys look like an 80s rock band. And he also throws in a line about missing a utility belt. Which... It's, I, I get that, but it's yeah, it's a drop. It's a you know a little nod to the the bat. This is a movie though where they like, once again they get some parts right about the F four, and then other parts they completely botch it. The fact they don't treat the F four as a team of adventurers, but rather superheroes, is kind of annoying. If you read the comics, and yes, this is one of those. Do you actually read the comic? But. You guys. <laughs> you guys. Of course you read the comics. This is my first time recording this thing, and RIP to the uh, partial inspiration of this nerd voice, Carol Shanning. She passed away recently. 97. All right. Three uh, weeks shy of, three, two and a half weeks shy of her 98th birthday. RIP Carol Shanning. I don't know why I'm doing that voice now, but here we are. When you do it like that, it's more like her, yes. But not yes. not originally. I thought you were just geeking out when yeah, you first yeah, did it. Yeah, and all the other times now until you, you posted. It? Now I hear it. Now yeah. you hear Carol Canning. Yeah. He was a comedian, if you didn't get the reference. Peter the horse on the crossing tennis. Stop it. Stop that. Anyway. Dun, 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 dun. But there yeah, is a song called The Horse. The idea that they're not getting the F4 as the quote-unquote imaginots that they are, and but rather trying to push them as superheroes it does kind of get rather annoying because what are the F4 known for? Going on adventures, you know, exploring new worlds. They're not known for... Golly. I would say it's like one of the biggest things about them. That's why if you read the um, Challengers of the Unknown from DC by Kirby, that's the prototype for the F4. And yeah, they're not superheroes, guys. No, it, that is so prevalent in many, if not all, the Marvel characters. Let's go with most of the Marvel characters. That they have relatability, humanistic qualities, things you can relate to, except for the superpower part. But that would, I that's know, what man. sets I can, them apart. I can, do, I can do this weird thing with my elbow. Uh, crack it open. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Almost like a Mel Gibson thing with his shoulder and oh. lethal weapon. I do love the Three Stooges. Well, that's something else. I said Mel, not Mo, Larry, and Curly. But he likes the Three Stooges in it, Eddie. Wise guy. Okay. Finding yourself on People Magazine is getting swarmed with paparazzi, so she disrobes for the, at least the second time. Who picked up the clothes this time? I don't know. Reed had to do it the first time so they could uh, help with the fire truck rescue scene on the Brooklyn Bridge. Probably one of those creepy eBay fans. Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah, how much can I get for this? Right, Ugh. exactly. And we do get to the classic Johnny pranking Ben, the shaving cream, which is just priceless, great. You know, he he didn't feel, that is, Ben did not feel the tickle of the feather duster on the feather end of it. So 
Johnny had to reverse it and tickle things face Ben's face with the wooden handle part of it and then he finally did take the shaving cream handful of shaving cream and, and mash his own face with it good funny good funny moment there good clean fun not for not for things face though because it's kind of dirty now we get the reference to Latveria the old country because doom is finished here Victor that is and Johnny you know stir crazy has to get out just happens to have a red sports car that says torched. Whether they came about it because of his newfound ability, but there it is. And gets into the uh, dirt bike escapade and does some uh, well, fire igniting, to which he reveals a new costume, and thereby publicly on film, on the coverage of the event, gives their names to the audience. And uh, then, then there ensues a, a fight in public of the of the members, and whether that their powers are for a higher calling, to which Johnny says that to, you know, maybe we've given these powers for a reason to a higher calling, and Reed says, well, a higher calling than getting girls and making money. Is there any higher calling? Johnny says, but a touching kind of and poignant moment I think was with Sue chasing down Ben, and Ben saying. In such misery, it's horrible what I am, what I wouldn't do to be invisible and not look like like this. And in some reality, in somewhere in the comics, they did do that kind of thing. Uh, not Ben Grimm thing, but become, have each other's powers. Actually, we see that in the subsequent film with, with Sue becoming uh, on fire. For a time, so yeah, they they reverse roles in that respect. I would say that girl we get is into on that. fire. Oh, yes. So would Alicia Keys. <sighs> he throws it, I catch it, and I guess how that goes. Ben, in his sorrow, meets Alicia, played by Carrie Washington. There's a name that comes along later in life. It was a TV show called Scandal, an ABC show, I believe, among other things that she's portrayed. But here's where you're crossing uh, an ethnicity to portray a character, a um, sub-character, so to speak, supporting character. And this is one of those, like, you could, it's, you don't, it does, the, the, there we go. The ethnicity doesn't matter. The only thing is she's blind. Anyone can be blind, so it doesn't matter, yep. you know? Yep. And that's why there are, you know, there will be a complaint and grievance from other people where like, oh, why would you do that? In the in the comic but book, this uh, version. Yeah, right, right. W any character really, unless the point is, Golly gee whiz, my superpower is I'm white and I can't dance. You know, you don't really have many superpowers. You know, <laughs> what I mean? or not superpowers. It's there, anybody can be recast in a different gender or ethnicity as long as it doesn't play a major point to their character. Johnny Storm, as we'll find out next, or in two weeks, is going to be a different ethnicity. Does it work? <laughs> we'll find out. Oh. Yeah. The other, the next thing that follows to me, which is, I thought, kind of odd, and I guess it can be explained with not too much effort. Victor, 
Von Doom and the mask that's in the glass case as a gift from the people of Latveria. It's a mask. It's a helmet. It bothered it's, me seeing that scene. Not going to lie. Like, oh, really? That's where you're getting it from? Where are you getting it from, right? Well, they've already distorted how he's getting armored up. And this becomes the the topping part of it. But why why give that? I mean, is this what the people thought of him? He, he, he ruled with such a demeanor that it was not out of respect that he got. The, I, I, it's just kind of like, all right, it doesn't quite fit. They had to give it a reason as to how he's getting this. So that's it, I guess. So that was a flaw, I believe. You didn't like that part, did you? It didn't connect. Didn't quite kind of, you know, and now that I, instead of just being like, okay, just like taking it in, absorbing it. Okay, this is what they're showing me. I'm listening. I'm watching. And yeah, this is how it is. But eh, yeah, no, it didn't quite mesh too well with me. What What did strike me as a as tribute came a little bit later when Reed and Ben get into a fight and Reed stretches himself around multiple times to to hold Ben. That happened straight up from the first issue. And from that, when Ben first transformed, they found out their powers, what's happening to me, and yeah, they they do that. So I thought that was a great homage to that first FF issue. And not just that, but I love that it it epitomized the family dynamic of the FF. Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah, they're not going to be always joyful and having a grand old time. Nope. No, it's families fight. Strife, conflict, everything. You know, I've had arguments with my mom. I've had arguments with my dad. Families fight. It's real life. So to incorporate that element... Obviously, you know, I'm not going to get stretchy in the middle of everything, but <laughs> it's stretchy. It's still like that's that's the magic of Marvel because they're flawed characters. Not everything is perfect. Not everything's going to be wrapped up with a perfect little bow at the end. No, in the and the prototype uh, action figure of the thing that I forget where if Johnny says where it came from, but of course it speaks and it says it's clobbering time. I loved that. I thought that was yeah. cool. That was fun. Too bad it got smashed. It did. Because Ben did not quite like that. Ben smash. <laughs> ben smash. Okay. Again, we talk about, uh, or we get to the part with Reed and the storm simulator. Um, he tries it on, on out it on himself, and it does not really work like it should. It weakens. It weakens because he tries to change himself back. Uh, Victor and Ben in conversation, whether it be in that diner. And Ben going into the storm simulator and it actually working with Victor supplying his own electricity to change him. And now no thing to stop you. Good little subtle reference there. And to which Victor says one down, three to go. And now Victor confronts Reed. What happens when you superheat rubber? Well, I guess it uh, kind of kind of. Is this going to turn into Willy Wonka with the Oompa Loompa sing? Uh, no. What happens quite. when... Do, do, do. And the follow-up chemistry 101 question, what happens to rubber when it's super cooled? You've got a... The Ice Age. Oh, wait, that's a, Batman and Robin. A reed sickle going on there, sitting in that chair, freezing himself over. Next is up Sue and Johnny. Uh, Johnny wearing that uh, red sport jacket, but jumps from the building to... Stop this missile that's been launched. 
and it's the first time we hear, flame on! Now, he just happens to say it. I mean, you know, otherwise it was, come on, come on! But flame on does it. So it was just, maybe there was some extra footage where that's the key word, phrase, for it to happen. But just to jump, yeah. And the missile apparently kind of takes out Johnny. He goes landing in the ocean, and to which Victor says, two down, two to go. And uh, we get we get into a Sue and Doom kind of fight and the thing coming in because he gets back to his rocky state and comes out with his own. It's clobbering time. It really was a Rocky Mountain way. Um, Joe Walsh, perhaps? Yeah. My man. My man. Now, that's another water sea character, isn't it? And not the Submariner, either. That was the best nap I ever had during a movie. So I we, tell you. Oh, you know, man, great effects. I think it was really good. And and the two the, hours and 20-so minutes that it was... The sound of the ocean just helped did me go not, to sleep. Uh, well, that's good. I hope it didn't make you wet the bed, either. I'm not that kind of person anymore, <laughs> Eddie. Goodness, you've crossed that 3-0 threshold now, finally. I'm a uh, big boy, Eddie. I'm a big boy. Is, that's exactly right, yeah. Two hands on that wheel. Please stop. <laughs> now we get to the Fantastic Four versus Doom. Uh, Johnny goes supernova, but Sue contains it in a ring of fire. There's your Johnny Cash. Thank you very much. And I'll allow it. Yes. But the t- the the effort is is taking a toll on Sue because we do see her develop a nosebleed from from the uh, exertion of containing all that. Well, that force into that circular pattern to keep it. And Reed comes out with his chemi- chemistry 101. What happens when you rapidly cool hot metal? Well, you've got a Von Doom statue now in the middle of this scene. And it looks like things are happy. We're on a Fantastic Four. Thank you on that banner cruise. I'll be honest. I was waiting for you to say a Fantastic Voyage. Yeah, well... I don't know it why. It could have happened, but yeah, that was that was pretty good, I guess. Not Johnny really. being Johnny, surrounded by several women saying, "I need names and shots," and uh, and and Ben, you can you you've got a close up of he's wearing some kind of sneakers, laces up, uh, size thirty six quadruple E. Most likely, yes. And a Reed and Sue conversation privately. He he found a broken gasket. From the spaceship, which serves to be a engagement ring proposal type of thing. To which she says yes, and everything is fun. And, and uh, Johnny and Ben get into a little conversation. Ben says, hey, no more wisecracks about the way I look. Johnny, call me Mr. Sensitivity. Okay, wide load coming through. Everybody move. He's huge. And again, that level of the playfulness, the humor they that's where they definitely got that that element of the character. And Johnny Storm learns how to make a circle with the four in it in the sky. Because that's and Doom goes to Latveria. Once again, this is around the same time where hey everybody, let's make a movie where fire helps make our logos. We have that in The Punisher, we have that in Daredevil, we have that in this. Cool. Once a year you have to have a logo made in fire. 2005 with this, 2004 with The Punisher, and finally 2013 with Daredevil. I love it. Great stuff. I'm glad. Oh, that's that's cool. I didn't realize that. I mean, it's not cool. It's it's hot. It's whatever, that, that, but yes, very much so. Hot, hot, hot. Toyota's hot, hot, hot. Oster Poindexter. 
You selling cars now? I am actually. Great. I'm gonna see you in a zoot suit and a wackadoo tie and like. Uh, come on down, make your come best offer. Come on down offer. to Peter Mellon the car dealership on something something Paramus, New Jersey. Is that where you want to go? Yeah. Why okay. Not? Kurt Russell used cars, 1980. Oh, stop that. Although I started it. This is true. And we do see one minor character who we did see earlier who escorted Ben to Victor, and that was. His character name was, I believe, Leonard. And you see him at the very end of the film where he's sort of the guy in charge of making sure that Doom is packed up in his crate, going to Latveria, the tech. He's going off to the ending of Indiana Jones and the Raiders kind of, of the yeah, Lost Ark. Some kind of, yeah, right, exactly. Put it away in a crate somewhere where it's going to be gotten to eventually. Oh, that's just crate, Eddie. Top men working on it. Top men and this guy Leonard, who was you know apprehensive, that uh, wonder if he's really gone for for good. And of course, the question mark in the scene with the tech, the construction dock worker having a laptop and it you know getting all staticky on him. Well, it's part of the electricity discharge that's going to be coming back from Doom, coming out of his. So Eddie was he? I don't know. Was he gone? For now. Dun, dun, dun. It said the end, so... Question mark. There was no question mark. Uh, no question I already gave you one, but, yeah. And no post credit scene. There's your movie, an hour and 45 minutes, kids. I guess we get to the thingy at the end with the reviews and the stuff. Another thing. Okay. I liked it. Wasn't really I liked that it a lot. faith... Really? I did. It wasn't that faithful to the source material, but... I had a fun time watching it. And honestly, that's what a lot of these movies are supposed to be. They're supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be, well, I'm time to shut my brain off and watch the colorful movie with the boom booms. But I had a good time. And it's definitely a product of its time. The early stuff of the superhero movies, like the the restart of everything. But I had a great time watching this. And I would have to say, rating-wise... In terms of it being as close to the source material, it's a two and three quarters. But my overall enjoyment of the movie, I was dangling towards three out of five. I'm going more for three and a quarter. It was How generous. It was the best of these movies so far that I've seen. And again, I had fun watching this, and I just wish they paid a little bit more closer attention to the source material, but instead we get a Doctor Doom that's not Doctor Doom. He's just a guy, a rich guy in a cape that's a, you know, a genius. That's it. Doom's story told different ways in some cases. Most of them are the same, though. So you really can't say, like, it's different each time. It's like, it's still the same. It's, I am Von Doom! They just it's a ninety four going back, but yeah, they it's don't, more authoritative and so on. They just but I just don't think they get it. I want if not for anything, we can say that Von Doom's character in this and the following movie is consistent. Oh yeah. In terms of his tone and speaking voice in inside the armor, inside the mask. He's the man, man in the iron the mask. mask. Yes, yes. Eh, we both jumped so on that joke. There. Um you know, I don't know how much you get scared of this doom or feel doom, impending doom, but visually, 
okay, hey, I guess that's Doom. But, yeah, some flaws in, in his character development. Okay. There's some flaws in his not armor. In his not armor part, yes. And the fact that he wasn't on the ship to begin with. If you want to go to the source material, different way to go about it as far as an origin. You know, go to Fantastic Four, what, number two, I guess, to get the beginning of, of Doom. Or definitely number five, for sure. Throwing him on the ship didn't bother me, to be completely honest. Okay. Because you could do an origin where, like, his skin begins to deteriorate or something, or something happens to him. Mm-hmm. You can get away with it with that aspect. But to be like, like I keep saying, they I think they didn't even read the material. They didn't, like, brush up on it. They just see, oh, he's silver. Let's make him that. Or they looked at how it, you know, they. I think, I, I beg to differ. I think they did read, different read, how he came to be, Doom's character was developed, and they said, this is not going to work on the screen. we got to do some kind of rewriting to make it a little more palatable, even though it's a stretch. Oh, uh, I, I did that on, on, on half on purpose. And make it, you know, a little more viewer digestible. Understandable, palatable. But using that logic, Darth Vader then is the same exact character, like in the comics of Fantastic Four, like the same style. Darth Vader's not palpable. That's where... Dog, I'm have to say no. Look, I have no other point of reference with Darth Vader than what I saw in the Star Wars movies. But he's Darth Vader. In the time flip back to seeing how he got horribly burned and amputated and put into... This life-saving armor, right? That's how I know of Vader's origin. You know, I don't have a comic book to cross-reference it with. I'm not saying I only Vader's know his origin. Oh, I'm talking about that authoritative kind of character, that okay. sinister kind of character. He's Darth Vader. Doctor Doom is the proto Darth Vader, and the fact that these guys who make these movies can't get it, but the closest one that could get that version is the Corman version from last week which we totally recorded, it's... Totally. It's that. It's very much that version of the character. He's an authoritative monster, a dictator. And they're not... Like, they instead, he's an evil businessman. I am i can't get behind that. No can do. Mm-hmm. Hold on notes. Thank you. Can't go for that. Be that as it may, I don't think it was overly silly... Or overly funny. A lot of one-liners. I thought it was really funny in a lot of parts. A lot of good, got a good good zinger, liner type things. I enjoyed that a lot. So I would definitely go, maybe hesitating on a four. Oh, I have to. Now that I just said that number, I give it a four. Boo. You're only doing it for that reason. Well, so be it. So now next week's episode, ladies and gentlemen, is yes. going to be, be Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. As Fantastic February rolls along. Uh, I don't know why I did that voice, but here we are. Oh, Yes, we are. Oh, boy. Anyway, once again, how can people get a hold of us on social media? I am so glad you asked. Go on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like on there. Like my page, p- facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster. Okay. You can also go Where? on Twitter at The Marvelous. Give us a follow on there. Also give us a follow at Peter Melnick. Eddie Wilson wants none of your Twitter nonsense. Jeremy Bagley, hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Wow. 
Also, you can find us on Instagram at The Marvelous. Give us a follow on there. Give on Instagram a follow to at Peter Melnick and at Eddie9193. You can also drop us a line in our email bag. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, yada, yada, yada. We'll answer them, maybe. I don't know. But you can also rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Helps out the iTunes algorithm. Helps out the show. You can also listen to the show on a wide variety of streaming platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Podbean, SoundCloud, and here's another one that we really haven't done as the last one, but it'll tie into what we're going to say next, Stitcher. If you go to stitcher.com slash premium and when you use that promo code at checkout, what you end up getting is one free month of Stitcher Premium and it helps support the show, helps put a little bit more change in our pockets to help keep this show going. Because guess what? SoundCloud ain't free. The transportation to go to cons and cover these things and interviews is not free. The internet we're using to upload this show ain't free. So when you go to stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout, marvelous, you'll be able to two get one free month of stitcher premium and it's only 4.99 a month after that you get a crap ton of content including real yankovic's concert archives and the big one that's pretty damn cool and is getting adapted currently into a comic book wolverine the long night marvel's foray into podcasting entertainment for a got it a so stitcher.com slash premium use the promo code at checkout marvelous Get a free one month of Stitcher Premium, and you can cancel at any time. If you don't want to get, if you don't want to spend four ninety nine a month, guess what you can do? You can cancel. Ooh. You won't get charged. You won't get charged before the first billing cycle. If you don't like it, whatever. I'm using it. I love it. So, for Peter Melnick, I am Peter Melnick. That's exactly right. I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.